You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We This is Locked On Hornets presented by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can check us all out on Twitter at Walker Mail, at Not of the Scribe, and at Doug Branson LOH. You can find the show handle on most social media platforms at Locked On Hornets. We'll have Rick Bennell join us in the second segment today. I'm going to switch up the scheduling of today's show, and maybe we can get into some small market teams trying to keep these stars. As it relates to the Anthony Davis situation going down in New Orleans, we can compare some things, I think, to Charlotte trying to keep Kimba Walker. I think there are some things that are very similar here. And so it'll be interesting to talk about that. We'll try to get to that in the third segment of the show today. But first, let's take a look at the Hornets in the Knicks game last night. The Hornets have a big fourth quarter from Malik Monk to help them get the victory 101-92. to It did not look good for pretty much three quarters of that game until Malik Monk went off, scored 12 points of his 14 in the fourth quarter, hit four three-pointers. It was some pretty boring basketball, but at least they did get the win, and here's Nick Batum on the victory last night. You know, it's not an easy team to play. No, they played some good games lately. You know, they, it was a close game against Houston. It was a close game last night against Miami. So we knew it would be a close one to not get good players. So it's going to be ugly sometime when the winners win, so we take it. Like, there are some things to like about the Knicks for the future, but this is a game that the Charlotte Hornets should have taken care of, and they did. Again, we didn't know if we were going to have to come berate the Charlotte Hornets the next day on sports radio or on any of these podcasts, but we don't because it was a good fourth quarter from Malik Monk, and that's what really is the biggest difference in this game. And just to take a look at the box score, you look at Miles Bridges. He contributed again last night pretty well, 24 minutes, Four of five from the field for him, including a three-pointer, and ended up with 11 points. Again, you know about Malik Monk. Tony Parker helping out again after he did take a break, and he didn't play against the Milwaukee Bucks. Tony Parker going 6 of 13, scoring 15 points. Interesting things to note, nobody scored over 15 points in this game. Kimball Walker, all he had was 14. Tony Parker and Jeremy Lamb actually both led the way with 15 points, and Malik Monk and Kimba both had 14 apiece. Miles Bridges and Billy Hernan Gomez each had 11 apiece. Nick Batum, a guy that we were looking for to see if we could get three consecutive aggressive games. Could it be possible that we would actually get three aggressive games from Nick Batum? Not so much. He only gave us six points, two of six from the field. So after shooting nine attempts in that, Mem- in that Memphis game, he shot, I think, 15 times against Milwaukee. Only shot six times, only hit a couple of field goals in 31 minutes of play. That's the Nick Batum that we've become accustomed to see throughout the regular season. Malik Monk is the guy, though, that is worth talking about more so than any because it was the biggest difference in this game yesterday. And I I mentioned Malik Monk. It was an ugly first half for him. You know, I tweeted out I I was surprised to see him get as many minutes in the second half because I think he only played eight in the first And then he played all 12 of the fourth quarter. So in the third quarter, Borrego decided to roll with them, decided to roll with them at the beginning of the fourth, you know, just kind of your regular rotation. And he actually caught fire. And so Borrego decided to stick with them. There was a sequence in that first eight minutes that he played, though, of the first half where he drives. This is all in a sequence, by the way. This is all this is all right in a row. So he drives. 
has an ugly pass that gets stolen. I think it was Damian Dotson who ends up taking it, right? So he drives, he kicks it out, but it's an awful pass. It gets stolen. It's right to Damian Dotson. Dotson actually dribbles down the court and tries to shoot a layup. Malik Monk actually does try to help on the other end. He does hustle back so he doesn't compound another mistake with a turnover or a free layup after the turnover. So he actually does hustle back. Damian Dotson misses the layup. Malik Monk, he gets the ball on the next trip down, shoots a three in semi-transition, brick, comes back down the floor on defense, and fouls Alonzo Trier. So we had a three-sequence play where Malik Monk turns it over, misses a three-pointer, and actually fouls on the next possession after actually playing some kind of good hustle defense in that. That was the only bright spot in that little sequence. And so James Borrego, you sit Malik Monk after only going, I think, with one made field goal. It was a little, like, 19-foot jumper that he made. He took a couple of those in the first half, and I think that's something that has to be maddening, watching Malik Monk. He takes some really tough jump shots. It's a guy that takes it on an ISO, dribbles within one step of the three-point line, and shoots a jumper, and it's one of the most maddening shots in all of the NBA. I remember Zach Lowe writing about it and talking about Jeremy Lamb, how he actually has kind of acquired a sidestep rather than jumping in, inside the three-point line because it does erase a point, and it's just a foot inside, and it just really doesn't have any place in a lot of basketball today. A lot of people don't like that shot, and it's not even mid-range, right? Like, it's even a little bit longer. You just take one step back, and it's a three-point jumper. It's just they're, they're useless shots to a, t- to a point with Malik Monk. Like, I understand trying to get, you know, trying to shake your defender. He's actually creating for himself. But you've seen a couple of those times that Malik Monk, he's just prone to doing that. And then the fourth quarter happens. And what what else happens here is Malik Monk, when he catches fire, like it's a guy that's just going to put up shots. He goes four of four in the fourth quarter from three-point range. But also it kind of lights a fire under him as far as making plays for other guys. Like we saw some really nice passes from Malik Monk. And I actually think we saw a couple of nice ones in the first half, which is a good sign to see that it's not hindering Malik Monk making plays for other guys. And he has that ability within him. But in the fourth quarter, Malik Monk was making plays. And I thought that was pretty cool. So while we do get teased, this is something. We have Malik Monk moments. We have quarters of really good play from Malik. We have halves of really good play. You know, I don't, there's not too many games that you can look at over the course of the entire game. Malik Monk played extremely well or to the height of his ability. But we have had moments. And that's exactly why it's so frustrating to see Malik Monk give you these moments, but just not bring you any type of consistency. You cannot say Malik Monk is consistent. In the first month of the season, he shot pretty well from three-point range. The next couple of months, it was pretty awful. We've seen some really bad shooting slumps. And then now this month, I think he's shooting something like 37 38%. So we just need to have a good couple of months strung together, even a good couple of games strung together, to be honest with you. I think at the beginning of the season, Malik Monk showed you some things. So we, we need like, like 10 games where Malik Monk is good. And until we get that, I think it's certainly fair to feel skeptical about Malik Monk's future in a Charlotte Hornets jersey. We're giving you daily Hornets talk in your podcast feed. We need you to show your support by joining our Patreon page. For as little as $1 a month, all it is is just $1. You'll be supporting the content that you depend on. Go to patreon.com slash LOH. Again, that's patreon.com slash LOH. We've got Rick Bennell on the other side of the break. It's the Locked On Hornets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. 
are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Did he go with Myers Leonard as his first comparison as a big man hitting from the three-point line? Oh, did I say Leonard? I meant uh, Miles Turner. Okay, (laughs) you did. I think you said Miles Leonard. That was on me. Sorry about that. That's a bad mistake. I know when I think shooting big men, Myers Leonard is the first guy that comes to mind. Absolutely. I was thinking Steve Clifford and I might be Hot the shot. same wavelength. Hot shot, there. Myers Leonard. <laughs> that's that's his nickname. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. We're coming to you from the Essex Home Studios in Uptown Charlotte via the 730 The Game ESPN Charlotte station. But we do want to give a shout out, as we always do, to the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. So I don't have Doug, I don't have Nada. We'll go to the guest line to help me out here today and bring on Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer like we do every single Tuesday. Again, you can find him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thanks so much for joining us once again. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on with us, Rick. And it's been a little bit of an interesting stretch for the Charlotte Hornets here after they, it seems like they've been able to accumulate a few wins. They're now, again, one game within reaching 500. And Rick, it seemed like the number one storyline outside of a lot of the trade rumors that are popping up, just the specific on-court result and what's going on on the court. Nick Batum was aggressive the two games prior to this New York Knicks game. Only had six attempts in this one. They were still able to win. But also, Rick, you had a chance to sit down with Nick Batum and write an article that did appear in the Charlotte Observer. I know a lot of people have been checking it out. Just based on what you experienced in that sit down with Nick Batum, what did you take away the most from it? Um, I told Nick, I said, I want to talk to you out of the way of other reporters, other TV cameras, and I want to, you know, I really think you should think of this as an opportunity, you know, to explain yourself to people. And he, I thought he was great. I thought he talked from the heart. Thought he was very talked very frankly. <clears throat> um, you know, Nick comes from a different culture in Europe, and I think sometimes we as Americans don't really understand that Nick isn't the only European who looks at at basketball as far as you know think he if his team wins and he feels like he contributed significantly to that win i don't think nick spends a whole lot of time staring at a, at a stat sheet think you know wondering whether the numbers justify his existence um the other thing that i think complicates this thing a little bit walker that i i really do think has been trivialized a little bit is He's been asked to do some things this season that are just very different than what he was doing for the Hornets the past couple of years in order to make Jeremy Lamb a starter. And that meant MKG go went to the bench. Nick now goes from covering the second-best perimeter player to covering the best perimeter player. Um, that's not an unreasonable request, but it does mean that he has to ration his energy between offense and defense very, very differently than he used to. Um, I think it's a complicated thing. I think it's a very nuanced thing. And I think, honestly, I think some people um, are kind of simplistic sometimes in the way they look at Nick. And, and Rick, when you mentioned Nick Batum having to guard the best player on the perimeter for the opposing team, I, I just I remember going 
a couple of years ago, right? When MKG, he only played seven games for the Charlotte Hornets. And Nick Batum, I felt like he was given that responsibility. Like, is there a difference from that where Nick Batum in 2015, 2016, to where Nick Batum did have the good season in Charlotte, MKG only played in seven games? Is there a difference from that year to what he's been asked to do this season? Well, the difference is that they uh, made a very smart trade for Courtney Lee at the deadline. That took a lot of burden off Nick and everybody else. Um, uh, Courtney, um, Courtney's another one of those people who I would call a generalist, somebody who doesn't do any one thing great, but somebody who is um, good at everything. So Courtney um, plugged a whole lot of different holes on that team and picked up the gap of what uh, what MKG did exceedingly well considering he just walked in off the street well and and rick i just feel like this nick batum conversation obviously it's huge surrounding the charlotte hornets you know especially with the trade rumors out there and, and whether they can move off of the contract and i remember i remember we talked about this and we thought we both thought kimball walker did a really good job of explaining it this way right like he said we need nick batum to do the good the the big things well he's always done the little things well throughout a basketball game we want him to do the big things well and i just don't think that's something you hear a whole lot how would you evaluate what nick has done as far as the grand scheme and doing the big things well or what or not well here this season first of all i think that that was a good thing for kemba to say um it without Without being negative, that was a healthy way to prod <laughs> Nick a little bit. Right. What what that what that statement in the preseason though didn't address is that there were going to be changes um, in the Charlotte Hornets, and one of the really big changes, and it's obviously been really positive, has been bringing in Tony Parker. Um, you know, Kemba is a scoring point guard. Um, Tony, by comparison, is much more of a conductor of the symphony kind of point guard. A lot of the things that Nick used to do that freed up Kemba to be Kemba, now Tony does as opposed to what Nick does. So what I'm getting at is, frankly, you know, what Nick's job description is very different than what it was a year ago. And I think it's taken a while for him to adapt to what that is and isn't. So I mean that just in the sense that um, what Kemba said was correct in the time. I'm not so sure right now that um, asking Nick to, quote, do the big things is necessarily what James Borrego's marching orders are. Rick, I mentioned also that you do have all of these trade rumors surrounding the Charlotte Hornets. It seems like they're brought up in a lot of different scenarios. And we've talked about the really big possibility of the Hornets staying quiet at the deadline because they've been surgical moves in the past rather than bringing in big names. And that certainly makes a lot of sense. Rick, how, how different is it with this trade lo- deadline that Mitch Kupchak is the general manager rather than Rich Show being the general manager? <laughs> well, it makes my job a lot harder because I, got, I was around Rich long enough to know what his habits were. Right. Um, you know, this is an entirely new administration. And, you know, it's funny, Walker, at the beginning of the season, you know, when I would start doing mailbags, you know, which was a lot of interaction with readers, I would constantly get people saying some version of, why should I get excited about this team? Nothing's different. And I would respond with, I understand from your point of view when you glance at the roster why you would say that, but everything about this team is different because there's an entirely different general manager 
who basically fired the entire basketball staff. And there's a brand-new head coach who is not only brand-new to the Hornets, but with the exception of, of some interim time in Orlando, is brand-new to being an NBA head coach. The reason I bring all that up is we have no track record with these guys. The only carryover as far as who makes these decisions is Michael Jordan, the owner. What, what I, so the one thing I do know, because Michael has literally said this to me one-on-one, is he think, he sees trades as a smart way of doing business in the sense that you are acquiring a player with an NBA track record and you are acquiring a pre-existing contract. You know how long you have that person and you know how long you're going to pay him. That's As he pointed out, that's different from you know the risk involved in drafting college players and it's different from trolling around in free agency. That doesn't mean that he doesn't think that those other two things are valid, you know, pursuits of to get players. But it, there, I think there's some merit to the idea that they have always been a trade-first franchise. The difference is all those people who made all those trades, they're either working someplace else or they're not working. Right. So we don't right. know what Mitch's agenda is. We don't know, other than what he did with the Lakers, what his tolerance and appetite for risk is. But Walker, you know, this is nothing. I've said this to you before. This is nothing but intuition. But because this roster is in relative balance and because, the, you know, what they, quote, need is something they probably can't get right now, which is a great number two option to Kemba. I, would, I just won't be surprised if nothing happens between now and the seventh. Well, and, and again, I remember the conversation was so much, and even for some people out there, the conversation was, do you trade Kemba Walker? And, Rick, it seemed like the time to do that was last season when you had an extra year left on his contract as opposed to what you have left of it right now, which is not a whole lot. It's just simply just a half of season. And did you find that to be true as well, where the, the max value you could have gotten back was last season, or do you think there is still substantial value to be had? Um, I defer to the ever-brilliant Bobby Marks, who told me um, over the summer, in, you know, introduced me to the concept that, the, that if they're going to trade Kemba, the longer the wait, the less they're going to get. As, as he said, a team doing what they would have to do to make the Hornets happy in a Kemba deal means that they are going to want him around under that cheap contract, not only because they would get a season with him for $12 million, but because that would allow them to get to know Kemba and for Kemba to get to know them and would give them a much better chance, logically, of re-signing him in the future. But acquiring Kemba right now is basically renting him. Uh, you know, the, I think the only, the only examples where that wouldn't be true is a team that is so ready to win right now that they would probably be able to send out a vibe to Kemba that would make him want to re-sign there. But I'm saying, you know, the reason that the Hornets, for instance, got Courtney Lee for just two second-round picks is because they were renting him for three months. Right now, no matter how good Kemba is, and by the way, this also applies to Jeremy Lamb, they would both be rentals in the eyes of other teams. 
And Rick, just a couple of things else to talk about. Just as far as products on the floor, a guy that showed up big in the fourth quarter last night, Malik Monk. And we've seen these moments from him. And in fact, it was a bad first half from Malik Monk, but it was a great fourth quarter from him. And it really helped them separate and actually win that game against the Knicks. We got a great fourth quarter at the beginning of his career against the Milwaukee Bucks last season. We have these moments, but it just doesn't come all that consistent. Rick, what do we do with these types of performances from Malik Monk, even though it's just not all that consistent? Every once in a while, his talent is just tantalizing, isn't it? It is. It, it, it has me very teased. <laughs> and frustrated. Right. Um, because what we need to see from Malik Monk, and by the way, I'm not criticizing Malik Monk as a person or a worker. I am just saying that, you know, what... What the Charlotte Hornets need to see from Malik Monk is a consistent body of work, not that one random game once, maybe twice a month. Um, He's figuring it out. For the first time in his life, I think, he's being really held accountable for his defense. And that means that sometimes he has games like last night, and sometimes it means he plays five minutes. Um, That's you know, Walker, until he demonstrates. And you know something? It's interesting to me that Miles Bridges is, is already ahead of him in this regard. And to some degree, you could even say Devontae Graham's ahead of, him, ahead of him in this regard. It's not about what he does when he's at his best. It's about reliability. And he knows that. He, you know, it's not like this is a secret to him. So, you know, sometimes these things require patience. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, um, you know, in the same way that Doc Rivers talks about how the greatest ability in the NBA is availability, I would say the second greatest ability is reliability. All right, that's Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer. You find him on Twitter once again, at Rick underscore Bennell. Always great stuff, some interesting stuff. Again, check out his article on the Charlotte Observer. He had to sit down with Nick Batum, certainly in the news right now. So go again, check that out. And again, Rick, we thank you for joining us here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Always appreciate it. No, of course, Walker. Have a great day. All right, you too. Once again, that was Rick Bennell. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with more with plenty here of the Lockdown Hornets podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. You are listening to the Lockdown Hornets podcast. <laughs> now, here's the funny part. I was listening to this to prep it for the show, and um, my wife walks in. And was like, what are you yeah, listening right to? That's a little scary cool. if, if you don't have the context. If you oh, walk yeah. in and you start hearing that, yeah. that's Darth Vader. I didn't have pants on. That didn't help <laughs> yeah, either. No, that um, it's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Big thanks to Rick Bennell for joining us once again. Interesting stuff that we kind of dove into there. A lot of Nick Batum early. Again, he did write that article, that sit-down. I'm sure a lot of you went ahead and checked out about Nick Batum and just kind of the changes that he's going to have to go through this season, that he's already gone through this season and continue to go through. We talked about it a little bit yesterday on the podcast with Doug and Nada. And, you know, it's like I find some pushback from myself on some of the comments that he had. And, And Rick... Again, maybe just a little bit of a disagreement there, but you know, talking about Nick Batum having all of this defensive responsibility, 
You know, I, I don't think he's been awful. I think there have been times where there have been stretches where there haven't been good defense played by Nick, but also I think at the beginning, I think there were some stretches where Nick Batum has played pretty well on that end of the floor. But again, it just it just kind of feeds into the excuse of Nick Batum not performing aggressively well because he has that kind of assignment. And again, I, I go back to that 2015-2016 season. It was Nick Batum's first year with the team. And I remember a lot of people thought that Nick Batum was going to be even better the next season because MKG only played those seven games in 2015 and 2016. And that was Nick Batum's best year here in Charlotte. I didn't hear a whole lot of pushback on people not wanting to pay Nick Batum the max. And so when he got all that money, people thought, okay, this is going to be a guy that helps this team take that next level, helps Kemba Walker win a playoff series because it still has yet to happen. We got really close, right? Seven-game series, Miami Heat got really close. But we couldn't put it away and you signed Nick Batum the following year along with Marvin Williams. Couldn't bring back Jeremy Lin. Couldn't bring back Courtney Lee. And we know how big those guys would prove to be their absence in the next couple of years following that. But Nick Batum, we thought, was going to be better. I mean, think about that. It makes sense. Nick Batum, the next season, isn't going to have to take on the responsibility of guarding the best perimeter score the next year. It's going to be all on MKG because, remember, MKG was the starter at that point. And that's something that Nick Batum points out in that article with Rick is that the ball's in Jeremy Lamb's hands a lot more. And he does try to say that that's better for the team, but he tries to acknowledge how different it is. I just find a little bit of that hard to believe that that's the reason why Nick Batum has struggled. you know. And then we've got the last couple of seasons to go off of as well where Nick Batum hasn't exactly been all that great. you know. And then we have the excuse of, oh, James Borrego is going to come in and he's going to tap into something from Nick. Now, I, I I think that there are times, I, you guys know my stance on Nick, and we, we talk about it constantly, Daily Hornets podcast, a lot of things to talk about with Nick Batum. But when Nick Batum goes out there and, and you need him, he, he said, by the way, after, the, after this game, right, he talked about how the starters had a lot of heavy legs in this one, which, okay, you know, I, I guess that does make some kind of sense because they have been playing a lot of minutes here lately. And he said thank you to Malik Monk because they needed the bench to go out there and perform. And it was a game where the starters didn't perform all that well. You know, Jeremy Lamb had the 15 points. Kemba Walker just had 14. That's two games in a row where he struggled. And granted, he's had the next strain, so that probably has something to do with it. You know, didn't seem to be as aggressive last night against the New York Knicks as well. So you got to think that the next strain had to play in some part of that. That had to be a factor. But the starters didn't perform all that well. And so Nick Batum, he said he thanked Malik Monk, but also it's a guy that you just want to see three games consecutively, at least three. You want to see a whole season, but you want to see consecutive games where Nick Batum is aggressive because you see the benefits of that. It helps the Charlotte Hornets team. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And so when you come in, and again, I, I love the piece. I think all of us should like the piece that it gives Nick Batum an avenue to speak to all of us. You know, this is, again, you heard Rick at the beginning of that interview. He said to Nick, hey, I just wanted to make sure, like, this would be something good for you to do, to speak out. Because there's a lot of criticism going around him, and deservedly so. I mean, I'm, I'm one guy to share the criticism on Nick Batum. And so when he says some of these comments that I shared on the podcast yesterday, 
I just find a little hard to take all of that in and think, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. One other thing I want to get to about Rick Bennell's interview, asking about Kimball Walker and his trade value, how much that has dropped. And I don't think there's any doubt about it. You can't look at Kimball Walker and the possibility of trading him and looking at a lot of value coming back for you when it's just a half a year rental at this point. And so we saw this last season. You know, Kimba, if he was going to get traded, you needed to maximize his value, one, this offseason, but really maximize it right when those rumors came out and Michael Jordan had to come out and say, no, we're, we're going to get a all-star and a nice draft selection in return if we are going to part with our own all-star in Kimba Walker. And he's come out, he came out, went absolutely nuts at the beginning of the season. And I, that certainly had a lot of people thinking, well, maybe this is something where they need to capitalize on and maybe sell high at, even at the beginning of the season where you had a whole year of Kimba to try to go through a playoff race and also a deep run, get ready, have a whole season's worth of chemistry with whatever team Kimba was going to be on with the other players. But there's just not a whole lot of value getting back in return, I think, at this point, if you wanted to trade Kimba. And so now without being out the window, it's all about if Mitch Kupchak is going to make a trade to help Kimba Walker, to bring in a second star or somebody that is a legitimate second best player on a basketball team. And as much as we like Jeremy Lamb, I mean, that's not a legitimate second best basketball player on any team with any kind of playoff aspirations and certainly winning a series. And so you're hoping that they can find that. But also it just goes to show you keeping a star especially with this Anthony Davis situation going down in New Orleans, you know, keeping your star in Kimball Walker, it makes sense. And looking at Kimball Walker's comments about how much he loves Charlotte, look, it's very easy to just dump on all of these comments and say, well, we don't know. Kimball Walker is just feeding us what we want to hear. And that very well could be true. But I'll ask you this, is, does that happen with a lot of other stars? You know, if other guys want out, they have asked to get out of an organization. You know, in New Orleans, they went down swinging. They traded for DeMarcus Cousins. They kept Drew Holiday for a long time. You know, they, they traded a rookie in Buddy Heald who is having a very good season right now so they could get DeMarcus. And you can't tell that an Achilles injury is going to happen. So, again, I do have the sympathy for the small market team. So they went down swinging. It's just really tough to keep your small market guy. And I'm not blaming Anthony Davis in any of this as well. Anthony Davis can do whatever the hell he wants. I like when players have the power. Anthony Davis is a phenomenal dude. Like You hear great things about him, just his personality. I don't care that Anthony Davis wants to leave. If he wants to go, that's fine. That's his own decision. It's not either Anthony Davis's fault that he wants to leave. It's just what he wants to do. And it's not New Orleans is to a certain extent. Yes, they could have done a lot of things better. I don't think anybody respects Demps as a guy that is a figurehead and making decisions for a particular organization. But still, it was just going to be tough. You see all of these guys leave. LeBron James was born in Akron, Ohio. Stayed with his hometown team and still left the Cleveland Cavaliers for a bigger market to play with other studs like Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. You know, Paul George leaves Indiana. Indiana had a lot of success. And Paul George still left. You know, Kevin Durant left Oklahoma City despite OKC having a lot of success. And that's with, by the way, Sam Presti, wonder boy at keeping a lot of these guys in town. I mean, you you see the job he did keeping Paul George in town. You know, that was a fantastic job. And just talent evaluation, I think you have to give a lot of credit to what Sam Presti has done. But unless you have Sam Presti, 
in your small market team, it's really tough to keep these guys. And if Kimball Walker has said how much he likes Charlotte, Anthony Davis said he wants out. Paul George said he wants out. Kevin Durant left. So these other guys don't have any problem letting you know how they feel. You see guy, Jimmy Butler, you know, it, it's somebody like these stars. I don't think that there's a whole lot for them to gain on just keeping feelings inside if they want to leave. And so you cannot agree with Kimba Walker. I'm not telling you to believe everything that you ever hear. You know, Kimba could be feeding you, sure. But I'm one to that's maybe inclined to believe that Kimba really does like Charlotte. And if he wants to stay, then maybe that is the blueprint for these small market teams. I want to get into this a little bit more, but we don't have enough time. Maybe we'll talk about it uh, in the next episode with Nod. I want to get Doug involved in this conversation. I want to get Nod involved in this conversation as well. So we appreciate you joining us here once again on the Locked On Hornets podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked On Hornets. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Hopefully not and Doug will be able to join me as well.